You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. We're coming in hot, coming in live today. Devin, what's going on? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing this show live, no intro or anything, so I'm going to tell you what's going on because my listeners have been asking me uh, what's going on, but thank you for coming on the show today. Short notice, I know it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, so what I'm doing on the show, you, Devin, everybody, I've got, I mean, I'm actually in, all, in our offices here in Seattle. i got some staff in the room, too. So I, I'm trying to make the show a little bit more loose and live, and I really want to do it in a way that's uh, more like a broadcasting thing where we just do the show. And um, I t- basically, I took a break. Uh, like everybody does going into the holidays coming in there. And man, it was a it was a nice break and I just got settled in and had no momentum to do anything. I didn't have anything planned before the end of the year. And then when the yeah. year starts back up, I'm like, oh yeah, I've got this podcast that I need to, to maintain. I knew it was in the back of my mind, but the problem on it is this show I do and it, nobody else depends on it but me. So I don't have Toby and right. Joey saying, hey, we got to do this on th- Tuesday. Or we're interviewing this guy. Or what happens? Or where's the, what if we don't do this and we don't get any money or advertisements or sponsors? So since the show's just me, it's really the only thing that I do or have ever done that is just really me driving it. And so not having other people depend on me, it's really easy to let go. No, I, I hear that. And I, I figure with you guys doing two podcasts a week, it has to be, you know, a little hard to get that extra extra one in there hard is one way to say it and awful is another way to say it <laughs> <laughs> it's uh no it's fun but the stuff that goes into setting it up and the technical and the scheduling is is rough and the expectations this one is right. really fun and easy but there's the less uh pressure to get it done but when i sit back and think about it BC Pod's going so well, and this one is actually doing super, super well. Like the the download numbers that I have here are great, but I've only been putting out a couple a month, and so yeah. I realized it would probably be just way better off if I involve some other people, get some of my our bad Christian staff involved, and try to do it more often and get more people to depend on it. Is what right. I'm trying to do, and, and and make it where I can do it live and put it out immediately instead of have to go through editing and all those things. So um, everybody forgive me for taking the break that I'm, I've taken. What I'm going to try to do here is reorganize and go back and take when we did the Emory record, the whole first thing. I'm going to go ahead and call that season one. And then I did a transition into talking to who I wanted to talk to, do some music, some science, some culture, different stuff. I'm going to call that season two. Then I took a break. And now time that this podcast is a great success has super good download numbers i think it's the second best download numbers in the whole in our whole jabberjaw bad christian mm, kind of universe cool. and so it's definitely worth doing so i'm just going to go ahead and make it serious so yes i've been on a break but i'm about to come out of the gate and do a whole bunch of stuff so i got a plan going i'm going to release at least an episode a week and i think if i make it fun like this where i record it live and release it i think i could do two of these a week so instead yeah, of yeah. instead of relaxing on it, I'm going to kind of double down. I think that'll actually make it go because people are asking me about it. So anyway, that's where I've been, folks. So we're going to start what I'm going to call Season 3 
uh, right now. That's cool. I mean, that's, you got some guests lined up. I mean, you got any? Mm-hmm. You got some plans for this season too? Yeah, I'm gonna do. Um, so right, th- this right now is my reminder episode and an update episode. So this uh, is gonna be a little mini uh, arranging clinic episode. We're gonna talk about arranging with you today, and then my next guest, who is Tyson Motzenbacher, who's a new tooth and nail guy. Uh, who's really good. So I'm, I'm going to talk to him about his arrangements and stuff in just a minute. And then uh, cool. I'm, I might do a, we're talking about doing a producer mini series next where I'd have a bunch of big producers that I like and people know their work and I know it and go break down some of the stuff they've done. And then I'm going to uh, try and do bounce back and forth between music and the other things that I like and try and see if I can't get in one or two a week is what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to shoot for at least. Yeah, that's cool. And make That'd it, be good make it regular but i think we can do it but part of it is i feel bad too um because of like some people contribute to the show already so i feel super bad that i haven't put anything together so yes if you want to help me get motivated (laughs) we'll put guilt on me if you contribute to the show on go to the website (laughs) pay pay something for the show monthly or weekly or whatever it is that'll help me and i have the amazon link that thank you everybody for doing that so i I felt guilty because i've spent like a month here and i've collected a few dollars and haven't done any work so i'm sorry i'll be back and here we go. But um, so I wanted to talk to you because you have the new crowdfund going. Mm-hmm. When um, I've got a whole folder full of your demos, which I'm not going to get into today. We'll do that another time. And then we did one song at the Emory Acoustic Shows, which went super good. I really uh, thought, yeah, I think yeah, that I song so. is really, really neat. And we worked on that one in the uh, hotel room. Mm-hmm. So you just had that one and we put it together just sitting there in the hotel room the night before. The show and it turned out super good. So I want to talk talk a little bit about arranging that song. But the thing I'm most interested in is those cover songs that you did. Those are so awesome, and I can't exactly understand why. I don't have a good th- working theory as to why I enjoy them so much. So I want to talk to you about how you did them the way you did them. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's funny because I've just always enjoyed doing those cover songs and. I think my natural style a little bit kind of lends itself to just kind of slowing stuff down a little bit, mm-hmm. making it real mellow and smooth. So I think it just kind of felt right to do. Obviously, every song doesn't feel that way, but it's just kind of I my my interest in my style kind of lends itself to certain songs, I guess you could say too. So, but yeah, we can get into that. Well, so first of, I mean, but so would you say your style is sad or slow or slowed down? I mean, that's not the Emory style. So that's, I mean, exactly. No. Uh, I wouldn't say. Like, do you I, hear I a song say that, and say, I wish it was sadder and slower? I mean, is that when you hear, <laughs> when you hear Billie well, Jean, is that what you thought? No, no. But I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of drawn to those kind of uh, melancholy feeling songs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously Billie Jean's different. I mean, that's kind of a different take. But um, most of them, I'm kind of drawn to those melancholy feeling type songs. And so I think it, my voice and the kind of style that I play, like especially on acoustic guitar when I'm just kind of tinkering around a little bit, it kind of lends itself to, to that style of music. So mm-hmm. it's really easy for me to kind of uh, translate from, one, from that original song to, to me just playing it on acoustic and singing it real light and kind of soft. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I don't. I'm not saying all of my Emory stuff or all of our stuff is ever sad and slow, obviously, but I think even maybe you would even uh, agree that a lot of the songs that I brought to the table over the years are kind of that more, more mostly like a little bit uh, minor, mm-hmm. you know, kind of Definitely. melancholy kind of feel. That's just kind of the way Definitely. I write. You don't best, write almost anything in a major key. That's for sure. 
Not much. Yeah, are not you uncomfortable much. in a major key? Like, it's too happy, or you feel uh, lame or no, cheesy I, doing it? I'm not. Unco- I'm not uncomfortable. I just. I think sometimes it's. It's a little harder for me to come up with a really good melody sometimes mm-hmm. to some of those major feeling parts mm-hmm. when they they feel a little cheesy to yeah, me if cheesy. I don't do it just right. You know. Yeah, I'm the same way. I think you know my theory on that is if you could write a song, it's harder. Like a being in a minor key or using distance, dissonance or heaviness or weird time signatures is almost like I'm gonna, and I, that's all I ever do is those things. But I, to me, they're mm-hmm. almost like a crutch because they make it less the music less normal or more weird or more out there. Therefore, it's a little bit harder to criticize. You know, if I was right. only allowed to use yeah. two songs and had to use open chords, then I feel like I'm just too vulnerable. Like it would really have to really, really be good. But if I make something yeah. kind of technical or or moody or something like that, then at least I can hide kind of hide there a little bit yeah i agree totally i think yeah i I don't know what it is i think just the way the melodies kind of fall in those minor regions i mean obviously we play major chords throughout the Mm -hmm. progressions and stuff like that but the way they kind of fall and 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 being like minor in um feeling overall is just kind of the way i don't know it's just the way i write it's, and it's, it's maybe it's alternative i mean if 80 percent of music's yeah. in a major key from happy birthday to amazing grace to everything out right. there now we're in, at least you're starting in an alternative you know yeah the, the yeah, minor key so. is, is an alternative mode to the major scale at right. least so maybe yeah, I've, I've, I've tried a lot too to really try and write more major stuff more happy stuff and i've you know i've done a little bit here and there but all in all, it's just it's hard for me. I don't know. Why. Do you think if you never... stumbled across even and wrote a song in a major key that was good, uh, like let's say for instance, I think "Party in the USA" by Miley is a very very simple song, and I think it's right. really really good and catchy. I think that's <laughs> undeniable whether you're into that or not. But if you even stumbled into that, you probably would throw it away and say it was embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassingly simple, you know. Probably that's what I think I would do. Yeah. So then we have yeah. to make something overcomplicated just to be comfortable with it. <laughs> right. I I agree totally. I think if I was more like, and I mean this in a complimentary way, if I was more like Toby or just a lot of songwriters in general, I wouldn't be at all embarrassed about any idea that I presented to anybody. Well, he's certainly you know what I'm saying. Not. That's what I'm saying. Like, and I think that's a good quality. I'm probably it, a little bit it, more. What is the com- is it overconfidence or, or ignorance? Maybe. Or, I mean, what or is the quality you're discussing? Probably, probably a combination <laughs> of the two, honestly. And I think for me, I'm a little, I'm a little too um, overly protective of mm-hmm. you know whatever it's supposed Absolutely. to be. So I, I should probably just present it, say, hey, you know what, this might be really terrible, but here's an idea. And some people be like, man, that's really great or whatever. Yeah. But I think I've probably forty to fifty percent of my ideas I keep locked just, away because i'm like ah, some of, i don't yeah, know some of them would have been quite good so the thing about arranging i just think it's a lot more important than it's typically given credit for i, I don't really know how to make mathematical uh proportions for it but in a way i think that writing and arranging are 50 50 that's not technically not you know mathematically true exactly especially when you you know include lyrics and meaning so leaving that out i think the presentation and arrangement of a song is every bit as important as the composition chord progression and melody yeah, you I know, even that. if even if presented in simple form, nonetheless, I think the arrangement is very uh, very important. So that's why this has been a neat thing to observe: is take your your arranging and delivery put with songs that you didn't write. So the writing half is done. In, in this case, we're I, I guess I want to talk most about the Everlong one and the Billie Jean. I think those are the two best ones that you've done. 
And uh, those are written by Michael Jackson and Dave Grohl. So the songs we already know are amazing. They've stood the test of time and are, are popular. And now we get to hear Devin Shelton deliver those with some very simple arranging. And so I thought mm-hmm. that's what I think is really, really compelling about it. Um, th- by the way, if you want to hear these songs in full, you can go to devinsheltonmusic.com. They're on your crowdfunding website for right. the album yep. you're trying to make. And I also think it's great because these <laughs> things give a window of what your album not is going to sound like, but what you really get with what what is Devin Shelton solo? What is it? And even right. though you didn't write these two songs, I think it gives a very good window into your melancholy smoothness. And you know, for sure it has an R&B feel mm-hmm. to it, but there's no beat, there's no bass, there's nothing that you'd say is R&B about it other than maybe your smooth vocal style, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so let's start with uh, the Billie Jean. Okay. How how did what 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 did you think when you you said you decided you wanted to do it before you had an idea or the way a way to do it? Yeah, I used to do it um, when I would play some acoustic shows from time to time, um, and I I'm just a huge Michael Jackson fan, and yeah. so I thought I kind of heard a similar version that someone did. I think uh, it might have been somebody from a band. What was it? Uh, uh shoot civil war mm-hmm. no is that the right civil, is that civil war yeah i don't know if that they band? did or not that's the name of the band i suppose well they but. never did it on the album or anything but i i almost almost remember hearing a version that was kind of similar that they did something interesting like that and i thought oh that's really cool and then i kind of translated it mm-hmm. and um yeah i just thought i don't know i think this would be really neat and so but how did you start making decisions though how did you start making decisions of what to do different like for most people if you're going to do if you're going to cover a song the idea when we first started doing covers you and i've been doing covers of weezer and nirvana songs for over 20 years that's how we learned to play music but when we used to do cover songs the only thing we were trying to do is sound identical to the artist that would have been the only goal we would have had is to do everything as close as we could and sound as much like them as possible but in this case it sounds nothing like a michael jackson 80s you know, pop up synthesized MIDI song. So right. why, I mean, if you had to take it at the simplest level, why didn't you do it that way? Why do you, I mean, what are you trying to do other than what Michael Jackson already did? It's almost, well, I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought that was kind of a, um, kind of a fruitless endeavor, I guess yeah. you could say. I was like, well, I mean, obviously I'm not going to compete with Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. stylings and recording uh, the way he did it and his innovation in that. But so I just thought, I really love the song. I like the feel of it. I mean, basically the whole, I mean, we can get more into detail, but the whole like verse of the song basically mm-hmm. is just like E minor with that moving bass part. Grab you know? your guitar and let's, let's talk about that. Let's just do okay. that. So, so did you, you know, consciously decide I want to make it slower and sadder. At least you thought that and say, I'm going to go ahead and try that. So you, and you, and you started by analyzing what his chord functions were. Yeah, I mean, basically his chord, I mean, that, that moving bass line, and then mm-hmm. his chords are, it's just basically E minor, if you can it's hear just that. A, it's a bass line riff on, that, stay, that, that the chord remains the same. Yeah, it's just basically, yeah. you know, that part. Yeah. So it's basically just... E minor pentatonic um, bass riff is what happens. Right, in, you know. right. And so, um, you know... If I just sang over E minor, that's basically what it is. It's, is the t- she you- was more like a beauty queen from a movie scene. So it's basically just that. Mm-hmm. But then the the B minor in there makes it a little bit more interesting because mm-hmm. it gives it a little bit of a different feel with that, with the bass line moving. So it's I did more of a... So you instead of just strumming, you thought you'd put the movement into it and add a chord that's not... 
actually really there. Be right, right. So, and I mean, it's not much of a different. It's a little. It's slower, but it's not a hugely different tempo. It's just a little bit slower. Because I mean, the song itself, you know, it's uh, has that. Yeah. You know, so, so it's a little faster, there. but it's right, so give us a little bit of that verse there. Uh, let's see. She was more like a beauty queen from a movie scene. I said, Don't mind, but what do you mean? I am the one. There's an A minor who mm-hmm. would dance on the floor in the round. Sounds so simple. So, um, yeah, it's super simple. That's just when you know you're in the real territory of an artist. It's like you're doing something that sounds like the easiest thing in the world, but it sounds really good. Like the, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. that is really interesting. So how did you decide? Is the, is E minor his key? Did you keep the key that he keeps? Um, I'm not sh- positive of that. I'd have to I'd have to go back and check. Or you just try to set it for actually. your voice because it goes way high. That's what I was anticipating the whole time when I was hearing him thinking, "How's Devin yeah. going to handle this high stuff if he's starting right there?" I want to say he is. It is E minor. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. This the guitar I'm in right now is is a half step down, mm-hmm. but I think I think when I recorded the acoustic, I was, but I think I was in, in standard. But the but. point is that you're forced into going into those really high stuff, and you went into flipped into a head voice kind of falsetto right. way to to approach that. So did you did you just start doing it and realize, oh crap, I can't sing that high, or did you want it to go light at the top versus loud at the top? I wanted it to go light. I mean, mm-hmm. I I wanted you know I. When I get to those high head voice notes, um, I mean they cut, they get pretty loud and stuff. And then I kind of had to flip to that falsetto uh, the, on the, the chorus. But I like having a little bit of volume, you know, on those parts. So I like to be able to sing high. I think my voice is uh, better, maybe a little bit more unique in that range. Well, super nice hit. The, I like the flip. I think that was the the whole thing. It's like, what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? Oh, and then he flipped, and it was really nice. And you obviously anticipated it well and built it into the arrangement. Versus like, oh crap, I got to bail out. It doesn't sound like a bailout. Right. It sounds like an artistic decision. I think. Yeah, that's it was the, definitely a decision. Yeah. Can you do that chorus for us? Uh, let's see here. Bill, let me. Sorry, let me do that again. Take your time. Billy, Billy Jean. Not my lover. She's just a girl who thinks that I am the one. But the kid is not my son. Nice. So yeah. Yeah. That's very. It, it kind of gave me an option to, because I'm singing louder because of that high part, but that doesn't make me have to go, mm-hmm. you know, bonkers at the top there. It just kind of makes me keep it kind of smooth and relatively quiet yeah well that's the thing because you know when you're taking voice lessons and people are teaching you when you when you don't know what you're doing you just sing louder and louder and higher and higher forever and say that's my range but yeah. when 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 you really learn to sing or take voice lessons you get in that thing where your people tell you no 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 you sing lighter and softer as you go high and it's really counterintuitive it made, made no sense to me for years and years and years but now right. i see that it's almost like you're putting in the clutch a little bit and shifting to another gear, and you want to you kind of ease off as you're making that transition to the other part of your voice, so that it, yeah. it doesn't get louder, 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 and then the super quiet falsetto and back. So yeah, that, that's really that's a really interesting you know approach vocally there, because the transition in in my voice, I, most most you know vocalists is I can go from full voice to head voice. You know that's really easy a transition mm-hmm. that just kind of goes right into it, and the falsetto is a totally different. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, totally different thing. So you have to, and it's obviously way, usually way quieter and way different sounding. So 
in order to make that sound smooth and natural, I had, you know, kind of have to work on that a little bit. Like, okay, make sure this yeah. doesn't like feel like two totally different. Yeah. It's connected really here, well. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah, definitely. And then the other part of that song is the pre-chorus. What's that pre-chorus part of the song? Um, you kept the chords the same, you know, pretty much here. Yeah, this is, uh, this part goes to C and E minor. And then it hits, hits that B major seven. Mm-hmm. So it goes, People always told me, be careful what you do. Don't go around breaking young girls' hearts. And pe- mother always told me, be careful who you love. Or be careful what you do. Because a lie becomes a truth, yeah. Very cool. It kind of goes. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty simple and kind of starts to take the song to another level of mm-hmm. vocals, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good section so. of that song. I mean, have you heard this uh, story about Michael Jackson writing that song? Have you heard anything about I that? I don't know if I have. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that he wrote the whole song and arrangement in his head, including all the sounds and all the layers of the MIDI and everything. And he oh, really? came in the studio and just explained it with his just verbally. Like he sang the bass line and said, this does this. Goes to this chord. It goes to. It does this way. Here's the what the percussion beat exactly would be. Almost like if he beatboxed it, had and had the do do do. Yeah. Like he had all the hooks and the instrumental. All he just could hear it in his head, and then he explained it. He didn't touch any instruments or anything. He just explained it to people what it should be, and then then he sang over. That's, it. It's done. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. It's, awesome. it's like it, it, you can almost imagine it that way because it's simple and kind of empty. Like if you think about it. Could, could you could you not write songs that way? Like if you just thought, oh, here's a bass line, and you kind of get in your own head a simple beat, and then you come up with some a little. Me- I mean, you could do almost could I could almost see that happening. It's not that it's simple or anything, but it's a really interesting way to think about arranging a song if you could do it. In well, your that, head. that's funny because I I I'm pretty good at that kind of arranging. Mm-hmm. It's weird because a lot of times I'll get stuck in a rut if I'm just sitting here with a guitar. Mm-hmm. I'll kind of get stuck. Like okay, I'm not coming up with anything real real good and, and original. And I, this is funny because actually on the way out to our first acoustic tour, uh-huh. I um, I was probably halfway done with that song that we played. Mm-hmm. So I had like verse and I was still kind of thinking through, okay, what's, is the chorus the one part, you know, with the, mm-hmm. with the moving high vocal or is it the ooh part? And so I was still thinking through some of the form of the song. And so I kind of arranged it that way in my head. I said, okay, I think this needs to be the chorus. And th- there was no bridge, like at all, before mm-hmm. I got on the airplane. And so I sat down and I said, okay, just think about this. So I thought through the whole bridge part in my head, and I'd never played it until we played in the hotel room. In the hotel room, room yeah. You were explaining what it was. That, yeah, that's interesting because you had the ideas of what it could be like, and then you had to hear them, and then it turns out sometimes oh, right. that's not a good Sometimes they're good, yeah. sometimes they're terrible. But sometimes like in the car on the way, you know, 30-minute drive or something, I, I just kind of sit there and don't have anything on. And mm-hmm. I just say, okay, let me think about this song just here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, that kind of stems a, an interesting idea or something that, you well, know. The problem is when you sit there, you say, oh, I'm a guitar player, piano player. You sit down at the instrument and it just is super boring or you have right. a lot of technical knowledge and you say, well, I'm in F sharp minor. I can play this chord and this chord. And then you don't, you know, there's no way to get a new idea if you if you put your fingers down first sometimes. Like if you're not, right. you can use yeah. your fingers and do stuff you know could work as a substitute for thinking or feeling. And so it yeah, can be a really big mistake. You know, you almost, that's why I like to write on instruments that I'm not good at because they, they feel like mm-hmm. if I sit down on drums or, or uh, piano sometimes that way or just any toy instrument I find, then I don't know what is going to happen. I can 
you know, I discover stuff that way sometimes, but that's just by guessing with my fingers and trying stuff. But really yeah. even better than that is to sit back and see if your brain can, you know, you can get an idea out of your brain and then translate it to an instrument. It's probably, probably is the best way to arrange. Yeah, I agree. And, and a lot of times, cause I'm not, you know, as fluent on the guitar as, as you and a lot of other people, but I, I mean, I'm, I can play fine. I know chords, but naturally when I just sit down to play to come up with ideas, I, I'm limited on mm-hmm. what ideas I'm going to even explore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like I'll, there'll be a, you know, right. a relatively uh, good sized box that I'll be working inside of, but in my brain, there's really no limitations. It's like, okay, you know right. what I mean? There's a little bit, there's, there's, there's a relative, you know, uh, to what I've played on the guitar mm-hmm. or piano or whatever. But in my brain, sometimes I'll think, well, this part would be really cool if it did this. But if I was playing that on the guitar, would I would never, never have tried that. Because yeah, it it's not in your normal vocabulary. It's not right. abstract enough. It's too concrete. Right. Like, well, I'm in this key. There's about six chords that work. Here they are. I'll try exactly. a different one. But in your yep. head, you'll get a weird rhythm shift or a, you know, some, a feeling and you chase it and then it becomes quantifiable later. But starts as a, exactly, something yeah. abstract in your brain. So I think yep. that's part of it. Um, how about this uh, Everlong? The, I was shocked that you chose Everlong to do because there, Dave Grohl's already done Everlong yeah. Acoustics. There's a big version of that. So I was like, well, that's a bad idea. Like, <laughs> not only is it a song that you're trying to do a different take on, but there's already a, a pretty good circulation of, of that artist doing it in a calmer, more melancholy way. So what new are you going to add to that? So when I first right. saw that, when you sent that, I was like, well... Okay, we'll see what, what he's got. But again, I was very impressed and surprised by how good it turned out. What did you intend to do? What was your thought process on it? Uh, to be honest, on this one, I was I had already recorded um, like Ain't No Sunshine, and I recorded um, Billie Jean. And I was just kind of sitting here messing around, just kind of thinking of ideas. And I just just started playing that ever long. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know, because Dave Grohl, when he did it acoustic, he kind of did the... Um, Still the, dun, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, you know, kind of yeah, still he kept did the that. same feel and rhythm, right, mm-hmm. right. And so I literally didn't even think think of like, okay, I could do Everlong. I just kind of started playing that, you know. Did you t- uh, change the key or tuning? He did. Yeah, his in, would be uh, drop e D instead of D. Okay, so you kept the tuning up in in standard, which is going to make it a lot different, and it's a half right. step, a whole step higher than him, whole step or higher half, because I'm not doing the octave on the chorus. Okay. And and the verse is higher. Okay, so, so since it's already higher, that's why you went down for the octave that you chose right. to sing the chorus in. But the verse gave me that opportunity to kind of sing a little bit higher in the song. And I just, honestly, I didn't even think through it, really. I just kind of started playing, and I just thought, oh, this sounds kind of neat. So... The chord functions are the same, pretty much, right? Chord Chords are the same. Hello. Still a little bit slower than him. So yeah, it's basically the, and the only thing that's different is when I, I think the part that goes. um, And I wonder. That's not exactly like he does it because they do that. You know, it's a different kind of feel. You you put Um, a real chord there instead of a riff, essentially. Right. Yeah. Right. And the the chorus is the same. It's just like an octave lower. So, if anything could ever feel this real forever. Nice and low. And all I did, um, the third line was adjust. No, the second line was, if anything could ever be this good again. You know, mm-hmm. just added that little Slight up variation, instead of yeah. down. 
So just very small variances in what he does, Mm -hmm. nothing really different except for picking pattern and maybe singing a little little lighter, that's all. That's good. What about the bridge? What would you do there on the bridge thing? I didn't really do anything. I just did the... I just played open, well, E. And I wonder... Because, you know, they do that real long Mm build-up and do the same thing. So I just made it shorter in one chord. I don't know what it is, but for as of right now, it's it's seeming... It's it this mo- it's as interesting as it's ever been to strip stuff down. I think like we're just I think yeah. it's kind of hitting me. I, I don't normally I would have said I've spent my whole <coughs> life and career trying to make stuff louder and bigger and better and tighter and all these things. And I guess I'm not the only one. That's what recordings and indie bands have been doing. And it's maybe it's just gotten to a point of saturation where it just at, finally to me I can appreciate or a, a more stripped down approach. It's like there's nowhere yeah. else to go. Everything got good. All the recordings got good. All the computers made everything super good. And so now I can find it more effective. Like, oh, they got quieter there. Oh, he sang the ver- the the chorus lower. And so I don't. I mean, maybe if I'd have heard this ten years ago, I'd say, well, that's dumb. Maybe right. if you, the same yeah. thing. Or maybe it's just that you're a m- mature uh, musician, comfortable in your skin and voice, and it would have translated. You know, either way. I don't. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of interesting to think. Of what, how, how would this have felt both as a listener, and what would you have done if you were trying to do this ten or fifteen years ago without maturity and experience? Yeah, I agree. I, I think I would have probably leaned towards more just doing it the way he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think too, even like in writing, you know, writing melodies and stuff, the the tendency we have is to to come up like that's that's kind of what we think. Okay, we think. Verse is kind of supposed to be this kind of range, mm-hmm. this feel, and then chorus is supposed to be bigger, mm-hmm. higher, right? You know, louder. And sometimes I have to kind of reset myself and say, you know, it doesn't really have to be that way. It's just kind of whatever feels right. It's almost just to, yes, yeah, you're looking for some effect there. And so you just calculate it a different way. Like, oh, I want to stand out. So now I'm going to be quiet. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. And it's, I think it's really interesting. It's almost like one of the better compliments you can give sounds like the opposite of a compliment. It's like, well, that just sounds like, I mean, what what is Devin's style and cover? It just sounds like Devin got the guitar and I don't know. He's saying the song. Yeah. It just sounds like Devin. I don't know. Like it's, it's not, yeah, no. there's nothing you could say that's crazy about it. It's not like, oh, virtuoso, unbelievable. It's just the biggest compliment is it's great, and it just sounds like if you grabbed a guitar, like you're just doing here. There's no production, there's no tuning, none of that. It's right. none of that. It's just what you sound like if you dink around on a chord on a song you know and use your yeah. comfortable voice. So I, I think that's quite should be quite a compliment. Although it sounds like, you know, it nothing. sounds boring. It's just like yeah. Devin with the guitar. <clears throat> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I thought about that too because you know I was putting like we were putting these on YouTube and and online and stuff, and I was like. I don't know if people really like these or not. They're not very interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, yeah, cause you have tons of people on there who have like uh, amazing, like YouTube recordings yep. of them doing songs of cover songs, probably a lot of the sure. same ones that I would even do. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these are kind of boring, but I, I, guess, I think they're awesome. Sorry. I don't, I don't know if they would translate <laughs> as good if on a recorded release, but I feel like they would. Right. And then the thing I noticed other people do, they're successful at stuff like this is they, they pretty much do similar thing to what you're doing. They probably work really hard on the music, which you didn't even have to, but then they work like tremendous on the visual part. Oh yeah. And that's yeah. not as interesting. It's, it's like a little unfortunate that you have to spend that much time on angles and visual and all this stuff to get your music across, especially if it's covers. 
Right. Which it's a little bit weird, but at the same time, it does make it a lot better. More HD cameras and angles yeah, and playing in a giant warehouse or whatever. You yeah, could make, you could improve like it that way, but I, I think something about the real intimate vibe of it is probably, you know, is pretty good to me. How do you yeah. think this will tie in or relate to or be similar to your album? Because to me, this is the first thing I'm like, okay, I can see what I think this album might start to be like. There'll be more production. I'm sure we'll do drums on it and right. stuff like that, but... Is is this uh, in the vein of what your album will feel like? Other only it'll be original songs. I think so. I mean, there's going to be. I hope at least there's going to be some more upbeat, a little bit more upbeat stuff. Just because mm-hmm. I, I like I like that, and I want to have that on there, especially when it comes to like the R and B side of things, or you know, in a little bit indie R and B in that zone. So I hope that you know, but also like, my natural tendency is to sit down and play a song on the guitar and it like I said, be a little bit melancholy and stuff. So I've always, I've kind of always depended on you through Emory mm-hmm. and, you know, th- and in this process, you know, maybe Chad from King's Kaleidoscope, whoever's mm-hmm. helping me produce the album mm-hmm. uh, to kind of add some of those bells and whistles. That's sure. kind of always how it's been. And I'm not really that, I don't really think that way. I might have a part or something, but yeah, I mean, in my brain, I think, I think the song could sound really good. It sounds good on acoustic guitar, and maybe that's enough. But then I go, well, I'm sure it could sound better mm-hmm. with more stuff. Yeah, I'm you know what I mean, to, I just don't really think to, about to work on it. But I'm going to try to do the least amount of work on it. Like on one hand, I want to get my hands on it and do it, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to produce it really because right. I don't want it to sound like me and you collaborating as we already have, and then take the the stuff that you normally do, and then the things that I've normally done to it. It'll sound more like something that's already, you know, kind of been done. And I think yeah. my, I'm maybe too heavy-handed in making it fuller and louder and those kinds of things. So I don't like my style is what I'm saying. But um, <laughs> I'm, I think, and I believe we've got it worked out, and hopefully Chad Gardner from King's Kaleidoscope is going to do it. We've got some time booked with him. I think that is the perfect fit. So I'm really excited about having him do it, and I'll be there. I'll chime in. Yeah. I'll, I'll help. Yeah, I'm sure. excited but, about that too. But I think he's, is, I'm going to be really excited to hear him because his ideas are always very, very counter to – uh, maybe counterintuitive to what what you would naturally think to do, and say he thinks mm-hmm. really outside, uh, and he he's not an analytical guy at all like you and I are. He doesn't think about music theory, or he, he's all about the way this feels or comes across, and just very aesthetic minded. Which you mm-hmm. and I are thinking chord functions and notes on right. top of it, and stu- you know stuff like that. So. I think that'll be the right fit for it. So I'm excited to see how it turns out here pretty soon. And your crowdfunding is going really well. It should be over about over. No, it's not over yet. I'm going to release it's this. in a week. Yeah. Like I said, I oh. want to release this like, I don't know. What, gotcha. what is today? Thursday. I'm going to try and Thursday, release this yeah. Friday or Monday, something like that. So okay. I'm going to put this out ASAP. And uh, your crowdfunding will still be going. And we have the Emory Acoustic dates coming up uh, in California though on the 2nd yep. through the 6th. So uh-huh. that'll be good. We're going to play your new song there, right? Yep, yep. Uh, maybe you do a cover. Are you going to do any more covers? You did. Uh, what did you do? Something in the air tonight by Phil Collins. In the air tonight. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the only one. Oh, other in one the I've air done. tonight. Yeah, that's what it's called. But you know, I mean, I'm just kind of putting them up, and I'll probably just do one from mm-hmm. time to time, and just maybe you know some more current songs, and then just some some stuff I like. Yeah, from whatever. from feedback I'm getting, I think you should always do it. Just whenever. I mean, if it's that easy for you to do, as it seems, I, I think it's a crime not to do, to do them. Give us more of them. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> yeah, well, if I could I'd do like that, to, I would do it all the time. <laughs> 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 I really would. That's funny. Okay, well, you know, if you want to help, check out Devin's crowdfund. Now that you have a little taste of what it's going to sound like, go to DevonSheltonMusic.com and you know help him help him 
raise some money so we can get everybody paid, get a good mix, and get this puppy out. So it looks like it's going well. And when when we think about putting it, it'll be in the summertime, late summer probably, by the time we have a full album done. Yeah, I think uh, we're scheduled to, like, pre-order starts in July, mm-hmm. and then maybe August-ish is, like, release or something like that. So. Cool. And then Emory Acoustic, we're going to be doing that all year. That's been really good. You uh-huh. like doing that? It's I really to do. bring it's, you out of retirement, awesome. at least. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice way to come out of retirement because it's it's really fun. It's pretty easy. Yeah. It's just kind of hanging out. You know, I mean, it's it's really fun. It's musically satisfying to me. Like, I enjoy yeah. it more than the loud stuff in a way because it matters exactly how I play it. You're going to hear it. Exa- if I sing, get to sing a little bit, then that it can be heard and it can be good or bad. Like it's not the, doing the right. big rock show. It's like you do the same thing and it's like a big giant machine and you just do the thing. And this feels right. like it's alive and organic and is actually in a way I would say it's more dynamic because it can be louder and softer eat more easily. It's not going through right. a giant PA system blasting in a whole room with loud drums and everything. So I think the acoustic shows are good. I'm, I'm certainly enjoying doing them. But uh, those are at emoryacoustic.com if anybody wants to check that out. And we'll be, we'll be out there in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for making some time for me today, Devin. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me. It was fun to talk about it. All right. We'll keep up the good work, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Matt. All right. See you, Devin. All right. Uh, let's see if we can get Tyson Matzenbacher on the line. Tyson is a new tooth and nail artist, has a record coming out pretty soon. And I've fallen in love with his record, so let's see if we've got, if we got him. All right. Tyson, can you hear me? Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're, what I'm doing right now, I'm in the, in the middle of uh, transition, trying to turn this show into a more regular thing. And uh, so this is a, like a part of a tiny little mini-series I'm doing uh, about songs and song arranging as I restructure the format of the show. So I'm going to start trying to put out shows more often, talk to more people, people like you, doing music stuff and not music stuff. But I'm going to try and do it way more regularly. So what I'm looking to, to make the show feel like is more live. So I'm in, yeah. in it like an office space right now, and I've got people in the room who you can't quite see. And uh, I just I'm doing the whole intro, explaining whatever needs to happen. If I ever do do advertisements, I'll drop them right in here. And so, thank you guys who just listened to the episode I did with Devin. Uh, welcome back. This is part two, separate episode, whatever you want to do. I've got Tyson Matzenbacher today, who's a new tooth and nail artist on the show, and he's got a new record that's coming out. What's the release date? It is March 4th. March 4th is the release date, and I've been sitting on this record for a couple of weeks, and uh, Tooth and Nail sent it to me early. That early, that's a, a perk of having cool friends. I'm really obsessed with this record right now. I really, really like it. They sent it to me and said we well, maybe we do some ads or something like that. But I just love it. I just I started listening to it, and there's something oddly. I just it's a it's a kind of music that I didn't think was my favorite kind. Or they said, oh, we got a new singer songwriter going Tooth and Nail. I was like, whatever. Yeah. And so I got this <laughs> record and put it on to be familiar with it a little bit, and I was like, whoa. This stuff is really, really good. So um, I wanted to bring you on here and discuss it and talk about it. And what I like to do is kind of break down and, and really go into a little bit of detail about the music and stuff. Like, uh, put it this way, I don't care where you're from on the show. I don't care, yeah. uh, you know, what your parents did for a living. That's, I skipped that part. Totally. And we're just going to talk about music and technical stuff like that. So I don't know you that well. We met a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't know where what your comfort level is talking about, but I want to talk about the recording and the song arranging. So song arranging is a particular thing that I'm kind of going through and discussing right yeah. now. So um, the thing that I notice about your record is uh, 
it's a singer-songwriter record, but the arrangements is why I love it. I think that's, oh, yeah. that's awesome. why I do, because yeah. if you stripped it all the way down and it was just you and just guitar, I think it would still be really good quality for the vocals and the lyrics and the message and the way the way you do that. But I don't know if I would I don't know if it would grab me as much as how cool I think your arrangements are and how tasteful is probably the word for it. Mm. Because I think sing singer songwriter stuff sometimes can be really dry or dull or too on the nose or something here. But there's a lot of depth yeah. in this one. So first of all, what um I don't know. Let's just play an example and instead of us talking about a bunch, I'm going to let you hear just a little bit of it, and we'll just jump right into talking about the what's what's really here, and we'll see who deserves credit for it. You or an amazing band or a hotshot <laughs> producer? I'm not sure. So I'm, I don't even yeah. know the answer to that. So we'll get into it here. But this is a part of your uh, first song on your record called "In Your Name." In his name. In his name In his Okay, so that's not exactly the type of clip you would play to demonstrate a song to somebody. But the reason I pulled that is because I wanted to start by asking about the string parts and stuff there. So I got several observations about that, but obviously an odd part of the thing. So there, the, what I'm noticing here, first off, is there's a ton of empty space. So I picked a, a sparse spot just to show people. Um, but it's a full production thing. In fact, you've got a string, at least quartet there. And then when it comes in and the bass is full, I notice that the, the drums are super floppy and tuned low and muffled. And uh, there's tons of space in there for those strings. So that's the first thing I want to ask is how, what is that? Do you, ha you don't have string players in your band? Is that part of the production? What is it? Yeah. So, oh man, everything's freaking out on my end over here. Right. Sorry, dude. Like that, I can't keep up, and now I can't really hear keep up. You we'll keep up, how? We'll take a time and get it sorted. Yeah, let's just fix that. The uh, Pro Tools is just not stoked. Let me run it through QuickTime here. Yep, that's fine. Apologies. What was Pro Tools doing? I just kept CPU overloading, oh, and then okay. it was like. I like tried to keep restarting it, and it was at 1024, and it still wasn't working, so. I don't know why. I mean, there's not that much going on, but I That's Pro right. Tools is just, just go weird sometimes. So. If you can make a quick time audio recording, it'll be just fine. New audio recording. Okay. Yeah, we're rolling there, so that'll be great. Let me make sure that's right. Okay, cool. So, so just, drop, just drop back right in. I'll right ask there. that question, the end of that question again. So with this, I mean, the strings, I mean, what do you have, a string quartet in your band, or is that something you did for the studio? Tell me about those string parts specifically. Yeah, well, I mean, the hard thing about, like, about strings on a on any record is that like to do strings really well it's super expensive like you can you can mm -hmm. tell if you're dropping in like a midi string section it's pretty obvious oh, and especially sure. particularly in something that's really empty like this song is mm -hmm. like 
like you can hear the bow and like you can hear stuff moving in the room in that section. Definitely. So like anything that was going to be not like a really woody organic sounding cello was going to be really obviously um, not that. So basically there's this guy who lives in, in Vancouver, BC. Um, his name is Brian Chan and he, he plays for a ton of different artists and plays like in the, in the symphony and stuff there. And he showed up um, at our, at the studio that we were recording and I never met him before. And he had this, he had this cello that was um, like, he, he pulled it out of this case. It looked like you could have dropped it out of an airplane mm-hmm. and the inside of it was like, it, it was made like pre 1900s cello. Wow. And, and he set it up and I had never worked with string players before. And he was just like, all right, give it to me. And he, he hadn't really heard the songs and he would go through, he went, listen to the whole song one time through without playing. And then, He'd do a part, and they say new voice, start again, and then we we just like Whoa. make a new voice and start it again. And he was building these whole quartet parts, mm-hmm. like out of just out of like okay, give it to me again, give it to me again, give it to me again. And so he he would usually do it in four takes. Okay, that's what, it. Sounds like there's yeah. three or four voices there, but yeah. I, that's what I was curious about. How did the notes come about that he played? He came up with those on the spot. Well, that was the thing that was so so incredible to me as a musician was that he would sit there and he would hear all four parts, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like he was thinking about it like, oh, this is a, you know this is a third and that's a fifth and maybe I'll throw in a weird right. you know seventh or something in there to make it all. Are he, you just making just, those numbers up? Because that is the, those are actually the numbers that are there. That's what I want. Yeah, to in that first part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you? That, I didn't. Um, I don't even know that about you. Are you a music theory guy? Do you know what what that would be here? I can like fake it a bit. I, I know I like know I can hear voicings and stuff, but but with that with his thing in particular, it was it wasn't even that way. Like it wasn't even a musical voice. It wasn't even he was thinking about it like a harmony, like a part. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like he was feeling. He was like feeling it, and he would just build it like a house. So Did like you give first. him any direction? Like I want it to be moody or happy or fast or full or anything. Um, I mean, I just, I, t- I told him like, I'd heard some of the stuff that he had done before and he was a really creative guy. Like he mm-hmm. came up with really creative ideas. And so I was kind of just like, man, just, just go for it. And I think that that's a, that's a huge, I mean, you know, this like working with a band and stuff, but, um, like if you can get the most important process or thing about any recording, I think is that you have people that are good, mm-hmm. like in every place. Like if you, the guy that's setting up the mics to the players, to the, you know, mm-hmm. the engineers and every single thing all the way up and down. So um, I didn't really give him any direction. Yeah, he just kind of would, would go for it. Well, that's interesting because, I mean, it's a very particular thing, but I'm going to identify what I like about it. But first of all, the notes yeah. there, um, you, you said them right. Like, it, I think is you do that song in the key of E. Is that? It's actually in the key of, so that's, it's tune. It's in the key of, let me think here, E flat. At okay. least that's what I play. Well, it. I'm going to call it E because that's the way I think yeah. of it or whether, what, I don't sure. know if it's capoed or detuned or whatever. But so the chords there, this is the thing about this song is if it's a singer songwriter song and the daggum thing is E and A over and over again, <laughs> yeah. to me, that sounds like it's going, if you describe that to me, it's going to be a boring song. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to be interested in that song. Right. Now, you got these really long, lingering parts on the A chord, on the four chord in that key, yep. where it just is wide open and empty. And and that's a kind of a plain, boring chord, the A chord and E, except yep. for in these gaps, you've got this string part, and it's got this yep. really interesting dissonance. Um, the, the notes on there are, there's a third is the low note, and then mm-hmm. there's a fifth on top, and I, I think yep. there's a seven and maybe a sharp four, maybe, yep. in there somewhere. 
Um, and that's the four parts on that thing. Right. And that's just two. There's a couple in there that are dissonant, like a half step apart. Yeah. And they're, they're notes that aren't really in that chord that are kind of forced in there. And it makes you feel all that crazy tension. And so yeah. you could almost, you know, think of that in your head to do it. I don't know if the guy's feeling it or whatever, but that's a really, really unexpected sound. I'm going to play it again. But that's a really unexpected sound to me. In his name. Super uncomfortable. In his yeah. Name. And it really, to me, it, it makes it. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's, I think it's in great. His name. You know, something else that we did on that that was really fun was that there was a space echo mm-hmm. in the studio, like a, a tape machine, and we ran the cello parts through the space echo. So okay. it has a it has a tape analog delay on it. That and that's what you hear sort of tailing out the end of those parts. I mean, I just can't imagine how boring that this section would be if it wasn't de- executed perfectly. It's just, I mean, no vocals, hanging out, maybe repeating a line, two chords, and I just, I'm just thrilled sitting there listening to it for. 30 and it's seconds. basically one chord because the guitar is playing the one, and then it's the one over four. So it's okay. like a, it's basically one chord the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Well, that's great. And then I, I do love uh, the direction and the feel of all the, the drum sounds and the roominess and the deadness of the drums. So tell me about that. How did you make those drums? I mean, they're low-tuned and muffled. Would you put a T-shirt over them? Actually, what, we ha- what happened with the drums was um, the guy that engineered a good chunk of this record and played drums on it, um, he, uh, is a, he's an amazing, amazing drummer. And, and the cool thing about it is that he's, he's recording his drums also. So... Mm-hmm. He has all these, he's tuning and setting up the mics for the drums in a way that he knows that he's going to be playing them. Cool. What's the um, guy's name? His name is Jason Cook. He also mixed the record also. He's okay. an insanely talented guy. He lives in Vancouver also. So, so you've pieced this together. So, you know, I mean, I, and you've told me this before, you don't have an exact solid band. So you, what yeah. you've done is assemble people that are just great to back you up and you're just assuming some control without <laughs> being a control freak, it sounds like, which is, I have the opposite problem. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> I think my, the thing that's behooved me is that, like, you know, a lot of the guys that pretty much everybody that put on this record were just kind of my friends over the years. Uh-huh. That, um, like, I sort of discovered as I got to know them that they were super, super talented in different, really, you know, like well compromising ways. Or, mm-hmm. or so. So Jason, when he he put up the. When he did that, it was just like, I just was watching him work and I was like, I don't need to take control of this at all because it's good. so clear that you have a vision. And like as in any creative process, like if you're having someone be a part of it, it's because you don't know how to do it on your own. Was the producer in charge here then or you at, during the recording process? So the producer was uh, actually a songwriter, uh, a singer-songwriter guy from uh, from Victoria, BC. We, we did a, a, about half of this record in Canada mm-hmm. on Vancouver Island. And uh, he was... He was in charge and he had a lot of great vision. Whenever you hear like the layering and some of the melody ideas and uh, just the way that things sounded, mm-hmm. he had a lot to do with that. But stuff like the parts um, and like the way that the drums in particular sound was all Jason. That's great. Well, I mean, I I, I admire that. I just have never yeah. been able to do that. I've worked with good, obviously great producers who've done a lot of stuff, of course, but yeah. my tendency is to micromanage the, the notes and the chords. Yeah. That, you know, I've done whole yeah. string parts where I sequenced them forever and then hired a really great guy to play them. Right. And I should have just let him write them. It probably would have been better, to tell you the truth. 
the only like the big direction that I had on this song in particular was that so this song was it was written on a I had this uh, acoustic guitar that it was an old Martin it was like a triple O Martin that I had for a long time and I brought it to mm-hmm. Mexico on a surf trip and the baggage handlers broke it into like forty pieces oh my gosh and so I put I. I glued it back. I gorilla glued it back together, but it couldn't hold a normal tuning anymore because uh-huh. the structure was all messed up. So I could only tune it to three full steps down. Whoa! So it was tuned into like a a G chord is an E flat chord. I see. And so, so maybe that gives it some of the unique sound too. But it's all low. I mean, I don't know. I just yeah. you know, it's in, here's another clip from the end of that same song. Yeah, yeah. The, um, but yeah, it's tons of soundscape. It's a lot, it's it's hard to leave stuff empty and to get everything to match. And if you do stuff like that, it's easy to make loud, aggressive music. If everything's yeah. all on ten all the time, it's easy to make it blend. But I find when you leave a bunch of space and the velocities with which you hit the drums and and do that are less and it's quieter and there's space, then you have to make sure the singing matches. Like you can't sing extra hard or that's weird. And then you you know the the ba- the touch of the bass has to match you know it has to be very tasteful in in that realm that you're in yeah I mean like one thing we ran into on this song in particular was that like we'd go through and comp vocals for it so we'd mm-hmm. do multiple takes and then try to comp them together mm-hmm. and there was so much space in it that you could tell you could tell if I was like a centimeter farther away from yeah. the microphone yeah in the next take and it would it would feel like things were popping in and out of focus mm-hmm. in the vocals. Um, and so that was like, yeah, that was a huge thing that I never had experienced before. When you have that much space, everything is louder. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. more, everything's more, more clear. So there's yeah. the, the, the loudest song probably is the second song on there, but the same kind of thing happens. You found a really good way to use some space. And in this case, there's not the cello there, but there's a, uh, these ah parts that I really like. So I'm going to show that. I can see you standing in the dark. This one almost has a little bit of a rock, more of a rock feel, obviously. It's true. It's not the same. It's not the same. So, where did those ahs come from? Who built those chords, those notes? So we have a friend, uh, a friend of mine. His name is J.P. Maurice. He actually mm-hmm. is a. He's a, another. These are all Canadian guys, actually, that mm-hmm. we're talking about. But he's um, he's got a band up in Canada also, and. Uh, He's an incredible singer. Like he has the most amazing range of any singer I've ever met. And uh, he has this, it sounds like his voice almost sounds like a synthesizer. Uh So he was warming up in in the vocal booth and he was kind of just doing that. And I was like, dude, that sounds like a, it sounds like a really cool organic synthesizer sound, like just what you're doing there. Mm -hmm. And so we did the same thing with him. I just kind of went through and I said, hey man, just like do that over this intro part. Mm Mm-hmm. And he did it, and then we and then we did similar to what I was talking about with the cello. It's where he, we did a second voice and a third voice and a fourth voice, and then it built up this really unique kind of choral. But it sounds like an instrument. Yeah, so. definitely. It's it's a if, I totally get that. To me, that freaks me out thinking of having to go in the studio. You didn't have that that part, the string part. You know, to me, that sounds scary going in that vulnerable to the studio without knowing what you're going to do. But and you well, still had space to do stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, particularly because like, you know, you, you coming from and a lot most people who come from a place of having a band, right? Mm-hmm. Of like playing with bands and and having parts worked out before you go into the studio. And for me, like these songs I've been playing them for, you know, a year, a little over a year, but most of the time it was solo. Yeah. I almost never had a, arrangements on them. So 
when I'm going into the studio, it, that was the you most terrifying what? part of the whole process. That's probably what makes this work really well is that you knew already that the songs worked without an arrangement then. So you've been right. playing them and you know that this works to do this already. So you're only adding to it. It's not like you composed a few vocals and chords and went in the studio and didn't know how it would, you know, you've, you've tried these songs live and been doing them. So I suppose if they work solo, then they can only be improved in, in the studio kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think so, but all, I mean, yes and no, because like, that's one of those things about um, playing solo is that you have the sort of that direct um, access to the audience mm-hmm. and that you, you like, I think that's actually a big reason why this record turned out the way that it did is because in when you're playing solo with a guitar and, and vocals, the only tool that you really have is to get quieter. Yeah. Right. Is to, right. Is to put space in. That's right. You have to draw, um, you can draw people in. It's kind of the opposite of doing a bit, the big epic heavy thing. And I noticed that when we do yeah. living room shows, it's like the best moments are the absolute quietest moments, but you have to bring people to that. Like you have to take them yeah. from a song and then it drops down, drops down. And then uh, the real, vulnerable feeling then you get to, to do to do that but it's kind of like the opposite yeah. and the smaller the crowd the quieter parts are, are the most you know uh p- powerful exactly you can, and I think that, that, was, people that was something that i learned how to do playing solo and so that was that's a good. big thing of what we brought into the studio well it's really good here's another part that's uh, i find borderline aggressive in, in in the album here same song this is like the chorus of this song So this one almost does what you're kind of saying there. And uh, so what I get from that is you, you go to what really is the first chorus there and the drums and stuff drop out and or just go to just kick. So that's a little bit surprising. And then something else that's not really normal for singer-songwritery is the chords are changing on, on like an, an aggressive on-beat, off-beat, on-beat rhythm. The doodle the doodle the do that's kind of a a more of aggressive type thing you'd hear a heavy band do or way to deliver it Uh, and that's not necessarily typical of a a, one guy with a guitar so you've made the the chord changes on a a different timing there and then at the same time so which is an aggressive move and at the same time you've pulled back the instruments when you go into the chorus there so thus being interesting and compelling for me to listen to yeah man that that was a the way that that one works i think a lot the way that a lot of the parts on this on this album worked was that basically somebody would have an idea, which is like, so I'm just playing on the acoustic guitar. Like, well, okay, well I mean, we knew that we wanted to drop that out. Like that was, and put the kick in there. That was like kind of from the beginning, but like I'm playing just the straight guitar stuff on that, mm-hmm. like kind of just like open strums. And then somebody, I don't even, I don't even remember who it was, but we, I think we had a, we knew that it needed to build and be like a big spark part of the song. And somebody went in on the piano and did that thing on the piano. It's like the dun, 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 mm-hmm. And then that was what we built into that whole part. So like, I mean, on above and below that, there's like, you know, a bunch of AB electric guitars and a bunch of AB down to an acoustic guitars. And um, I think there's like a Wurlitzer in there maybe, but it's like just a ton of instrumentation that's built underneath that one part that makes it just huge without feeling like it's being thrown in your face. Yeah, totally dig that. So I'm, I do these, I, I like just put all the songs in Pro Tools and chop out sections that are interesting to me. So I put them all on a, I just import them and they're all in my Pro Tools file. And something that happens a lot is uh, if I miss solo, I'll get everything at once. So, you know, I'm not a big fan of the, the well, I'll put it this way. 
people talk about music being there's only 12 notes and is what you don't play or what you don't draw that yeah. that 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 really defines what your art is and i'm going to prove that because this ha- when i miss solo something in pro tools i get this effect here where all of your songs play at once so lest you think that more is better listen to all your songs playing at the same time <laughs> That's nuts. I've never heard that before. That's, that's like, your whole like album at once. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, thought that, I did that on accident. I thought it was quite funny, but happens a lot. It's a yeah. really, really disturbing sound. And that's what happens when you get every key and every note and every rhythm happening at the same time. Not a good thing. Yeah. So really, it, it, it's, it's funny, but it really kind of proves the point of, theoretically, we're just talking about what you're not playing when we're ever talking about a song or creation. What notes are you not singing? Totally. What song, what are you not doing? Because the opposite is everything. Yeah, which is a disaster or demonic or horror movie or something. I don't know what. Yeah, I was going to say it sounded like uh, I, I today I read the thing about how the Silence of the Lambs house is up for sale. And nobody will buy it. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at some pictures of it. And when that came on, I just that picture of that house popped into my head. That's that the basement like, <laughs> of Buffalo Bill's house. Exactly. Yeah, it's Buffalo Bill's house. <laughs> and uh, so the other thing I got here is a key change. Yeah, you do a, a key change. I thought was, is, was rather interesting. And so let me play you that clip here. Said I'd walk to San Francisco After everything was done I thought the noise and moving busy Kept my mind from really knowing what was gone All right, so what goes on there is really awesome, and, and it's it's something that people don't do near enough, and that's take a, take a chance and do something that sounds weird for a second until it sounds normal, and then it what you do right there is turn right around, let it hang, and then you drop it back to the original key, which yeah. feels good. So I don't like I said I'm not sure where you're at with as a theory guy, but I'd like to talk about the chords and the key there if that's okay. No, totally. Yeah. So it's it's in the key of that one was another one of the ones I wrote on that busted guitar. So it was tuned down. Mm-hmm. I think we may have ended up bringing finding it somewhere in the middle there, but I'm playing it in the key of C. Okay. So if that's in the so, key of C, let me see if I understand what it is. Yeah. Totally. I'll see if I can talk in the, in that key. So you're in C, and so the chord progression there normally is one, three, four. It'd be C, E minor, F, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so then the then you go when it changes there you you instead of going to F you really quickly push that F to a F sharp and land on G. Exactly. And then up to A minor and then C and then D major. So you go from the key and then you hang on that D major at that point which is Essentially, you've taken yourself from the key of C into the key of G. Exactly. At that That's point. exactly right. And then the yeah. chorus, which plays later, um, that, that one you go back to the verse, but you go on to do a whole chorus in G, and I don't, I'm not going to play that clip. You'll have yep. to get the record when it comes out and hear how that turns out. But that is really interesting because you have to skate across into those weird you know, chords. They feel weird. They're very normal to the new key that you're in, but it takes a little while for your ear to adjust there. And right. uh, mainly because you take the F natural in the key of C and it turns yeah. into F sharp, which means you're in the key of G. Right. And then also in that D chord, it has the F sharp, which which makes it. 
but the F, yeah, and the F sharp is like a D, it's a D over F sharp, so it's kind of a transitional mm-hmm. uh, chord there, and that's actually the weird that is the weird chord. Yes, it is. Well, it's because, when you've introduced the note F sharp to a key that it doesn't belong in the key of C, right? Because the other chords can technically be. A yes. lot, at least most of them can be in either key. So like well, the, every the, single the, note in G yeah. is in C, except for the except F for is the, sharp instead of natural. So that's why it's really interesting because you're, you're hanging on the on the F, and the F is the is the four chord in the key of C, or it's mm-hmm. the seven chord in the key of G. So right. when you go from that, it changes it from feeling like a four when you go to the F sharp. Right. If from feeling like a four to it feeling like a seven, and the feeling yes. of a seven and a four are super different. So that's why it like that's why it really changes when you hit that that f sharp yeah and then you hang it on the on the d and then it drops right back into the c yeah and then that feeling of going back to the original key is always really cool like it's Mm -hmm. hard sometimes to get to i don't know it can be either way but it's really relieving to get back to the other key because you get another little twist of the ear so you just tease that long enough of the new key and then abandon it and then you come back later to do a whole chorus in in g yeah, the next exactly. time around, which I, I think is really good. I think people don't use key changes enough because, it, I th- frankly, it makes you uncomfortable for that temporary time that it takes your ear to adjust. So people kind of avoid yeah. it. And well, I think, particularly, I think that like I'd never heard. I did it. This is one of those things in the songwriting process where it was just completely by accident. Yeah, that's what like, I was going to ask you. Is that intentional or you just j- jumping around chords? And how'd you find it? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, you know, you kind of sitting around with an acoustic guitar and I'm playing standard chords, and then something about the way that I needed it to to kind of move into a new yeah it's an un, like, like i said like it, when you're playing solo you've got a few different tools and one of them is like to make people feel uncomfortable and then to make them feel comfortable again so like whatever you use, you're using is like the chord structure or the silence or the space or whatever and so for me i was like man i heard i felt i kind of heard that walk up there from the f sharp the d over f sharp to the g and it just did exactly what i wanted it to do in that moment so it was, it was sort of play just it a happy again. accident but uh, this is what I mean. You know, you, the use, use of the three chord is, is always a, is a nice thing to my ear. And so I've, I already like the melancholy feel of this verse, and then you you just take rip it right away from me. Like I'm comfortable with this melancholy thing, and then it just gets weird. So that's like I think I understand where we are, and then. You drop us all the way back down. Yeah, and even like something we did there that was really fun was that like so the drum drummer always want they always want to hit the cymbals on the one mm-hmm. like that's like the drummers love that so we're sitting there and he's playing uh, so for a few when you were talking about the downtrodden drums we found in the studio we found this in the like back closet we found this. Um, marching snare from like pre-world war one that's mm-hmm. the size of a tom it's like it's a gigantic snare like you almost can't play it mm-hmm. because you have to get your hand up so high to hit it and that was what we threw in there so he's playing this gigantic marching snare on that with like some bundles and so when it gets to when it gets to that part he wants to hit the he wants to just do a big like cymbal hit and go into it and instead he just waits and then just goes right back into the beat again. Mm-hmm. So it's, it it doesn't feel like anything ever quite arrives until you hit that chorus. And it's it's in like kind of every layer of the production there, which is pretty sparse. Yeah, well, it sounds like just you know a, a whole series of making semi counterintuitive decisions, which is uh, equivalent to saying boldness for I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, 
you know, being daring and bold and willing to, to take risks, I think, really, really pays off. Because the thing that, that about singer songwritery stuff is the worst it can be is one dimensional and open chords that just sound like your youth leader or, or, or something, somebody with a flip flops and a capo driving me crazy. And every single thing about it's predictable and one dimensional. And that's why I have an aversion to that style of music. That's the right, culture totally. I kind of grew up in. And, in the 90s in South Carolina, hootie culture, I suppose it was, hootie and the blowfish. <laughs> hootie and, culture. <laughs> and I just, and it was, it, I just couldn't, I just could not wait to not ever hear anything like that again. It's right. taken me this long to, to be able to listen to something like this and uh, really enjoy it, to, to hear the quieter things and the acoustic things and, and not actually bring some energy of disdain to it, which I, I've almost always had. So I appreciate yeah. you uh, making the, the, the decisions that you made, but I'm not going easy on you. You, I found I've got an example here of one you've made that I just do not like, Tyson. Yeah, let's do it. That's my own dissatisfaction. Perhaps it will pass. As I do like that flat third you sang right there, though. But banjo? I don't think so. That's your that's your mistake. We don't need banjo in, in acoustic folk music. Banjo is a terrible instrument. It doesn't belong anywhere. You should not have used banjo. I can't let you off the hook for that. Dude, I totally appreciate that. Actually, this the funny thing about that song is that that was on the last record that I did. It was on mm-hmm. the last EP that I did. And so when we were doing that song, we were battling, we were battling the way that it had sounded before, mm-hmm. right? But... Uh, yeah, man. I think the the other version was a lot more. Um, I think like when we went into this one, we were like, okay, we want this one to feel like more Tom Petty than we want it to sound like the Lumineers, uh-huh. right? Which is why the drums are super straight and they come right in. It's just like a standard like Tom Petty, like old school rock and roll beat. Right. And uh, I think that we were in the studio and that came there and it was like. I mean, we basically threw every instrument that's in the studio on this mm-hmm. record. And I think that that part was like a, I like the banjo, but I could definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, banjo, <laughs> banjo is wrong. That's not, that's not an opinion. It's just wrong. Dude, you're, from the, you're from the South too, though. That's I know. I don't mind banjo world. and bluegrass, but I do not like it placed in rock or singer songwriter or folk, indie, yeah. alt country even. I just don't, I do not like it. I don't know if it's, I feel like it's cliche or yeah. obvious or maybe the twangy sound of the banjo or the people who have used it, but I say no to banjo. Well, that was definitely the safe choice there, right? Like that's like <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, you could definitely know. Like, okay, this is gonna feel like it turns into a banjo song. I now. can just see people from when I grew up going, "Oh yeah, did you hear that? Oh, and a banjo too," and just stomping their Birkenstocks to it. I just can't stand it. Sorry, Tyson. What about that? No, that's fair, man. Fair <laughs> critique. Um, well, we don't have a lot of time today, but I wanted to thank you for for doing this music and coming on our show. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you and you doing more and more stuff and this record coming out. I think everybody's going to like it. And I, it's uh, this and Zach Bolin is a is a record we're putting out. He's the guy from the band Citizens and Saints, and he yeah. has a, a record that's really in the same territory as this. And I'm super into it. So here I am. There's two of these kind of uh, folk rock. I don't know. I don't know what you call the genre of it, but it, they're. I didn't think this was the kind of stuff I'd be into, and I'm way into it. It's the two records I've been listening to a lot lately, yours and his. Uh, I think they go well together, and I'm I'm really excited for both to come out and people to to hear them, to talk about them, and share them. So thank you for sharing some of your music and you know what's behind it with us today. 
Yeah, man, I, I really appreciate your you've had a really cool, honest uh, uh, look at it, which is really cool. So, so you and, and I know we avoided all the other stuff about who you are and what your story is and what these songs are about. Um, you'll do some other podcasts, I'm sure. We'll have you on Bad Christian Podcast, and we'll do more of that stuff, I'm sure, eventually too. But in the meantime, this is a kind of this is what goes through my head when I first listen to you. That's how it this first is, strikes me. So, this is the most fun for me, like talking about how stuff gets made. I think it's like the most fun. So. Thanks for doing it. Good. Well, people like it, but it's sometimes difficult to talk about. And maybe it's difficult to talk about without being boring, which this may or may not have been. I do not know. But yeah, interesting to me. we lost everybody by this point. <laughs> maybe so, but interesting to me. I thank you for, for being willing to come on and do that. Because like I said, I didn't know if you wrote this stuff, if somebody else did or how. But thank you for it. Uh, I'm going to note that you were very cool about giving credit away to others. So who, you know, you don't, you're not territorial about your parts and who did oh, what. Yeah. And it's all I, me and, and that kind of thing. So There's a lot of people that took I ownership that. on this thing. Yeah, I, I applaud that. That's the way to be. I have it without them. So. Way to be. All right. Well, Tyson, enjoyed talking to you today. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. So Tyson Motzenbacher record is called Say the I don't want to butcher the I know the name. Letters of it. to Lost Loves. And Letters to Lost Loves on the out March fourth on Tooth and Nail, and I bet I believe it'll be most of the stuff is toothandnail.merchline.com is where they'll tell you to go to pre-order it. Probably is that right? Yeah, that's right. Do you have another website or anything you want people to go to? Yeah, TysonMotzenbacher.com, which is just like it sounds, but it's a long one. So. All right. Well, I'm sure everybody will hear about this and find it. Yeah. So uh, thanks again, Tyson and Devin on the show earlier. I really appreciate too. I enjoyed making this episode, uh, especially uh, the form, doing, doing it live like this and doing two interviews in one day and, you know, pretty close to real time at least. So thank you. I'm going to keep working on that and see what I can do with this, what I'm going to call, like I said, season three. We'll have some more surprises up my sleeve and I might decide to change what I do. And- Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.